Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We talked a little bit last week. Peter was writing about the blessings that we as believers encounter in our faith by believing in Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then we look at the relationship also comes with some obligations today, as Peter will point out. Obligations to live the commitment of a Christian life in this world for the purpose of others seeing that. You see, if you claim his blessings as a believer, you must also honor his obligations. Let me say that one more time. If you claim the blessings, God's blessings of being a believer, you also need to honor his obligations. In other words, Christians are called to live a life of obedience to God in return for his blessings. This includes following his commands worshiping him, and serving others. Let's pray. God, we come before you now as we look at the scriptures this morning. Lord, may it be honoring to you, and Lord, may it be freeing for us as Christians, Lord, to see not only the blessings that we receive, but the purpose of life that we receive by living for you, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, you may know this about me, you may not, but growing up as an only child... It has benefits as being an only child. For example, you don't have to share. Yes, you are spoiled. Donna, don't give an amen. And being the center of attention is always the, the, the great part of being an only child. But the drawbacks are having no one to blame when something goes wrong. Having no one to play with other than your magical friend Fred or imaginary friend Fred. Or the drawback is you have to figure out how to entertain yourself. And there's no companionship. There's no loneliness. There's no brothers or sisters to get in trouble with. Those who are only children can identify with that. Am I right? But from the early on, parents taught me something very valuable by bringing a dog into our family. Now, this is not a sermon on dogs, but I do have to say that uh, these dogs really taught me some valuable lessons as a one one and only child. Let's see, I tried to, to remember their names. First there was Charlie, then there was Bandit, then there was Patches. Those were some of those Puppies that I grew up with, and later on, after Don and I married, we had a brief break where we were living in an apartment, so we got a cat at the, re- at the rescue. Uh, Sammy was a sweet thing, but when we moved to Wilmington, we had to relocate her, and so we got to Wilmington, and then we finally got settled in, and I told Don we need a dog. And so we went, and we found our dog back, so he came with us. He was about 11 years old when we moved here. And uh, so he was the joy of our life. Some people say, oh, they're just pets, they're just dogs. Well, if you don't have children, they become much more than that. And even those with children, your family pets are special to you. So Donna had a, has, was not always a big dog fan. She wasn't opposed to him. But when uh, Baxley came into our world, she was hooked. And then uh, when Baxley passed away, some of you remember, we had not been here that long, but uh, we, were, um, we were hurting. And so 
God ended up bringing us another dog into our life who has now turned 11. His name is Bruno. So I don't, I don't mean to sit here and, and talk about all of our dogs, but the, the thing is, is that that dog melted our hearts. Those dogs melted our hearts. It gave us the privilege of being uh, doggy parents, I guess you could say. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is that there is an absolute blessing Donna and I have received over the years of being pet owners. There's blessings of that. As a child growing up, I didn't have brothers and sisters, so I had a dog. And with that dog came also some obligations. Okay, James, we're going to get you a dog, but you've got to feed it. You've got to water it. You've got to make sure it gets its exercise. You've got to make sure that you pick up after it. So all of these things I learned as a young age, yes, they were cute, And they were great to have around, but still, there were some obligations for the blessings that I was receiving. Now, Don and I have considered those things a joy most of the time in our life, but but also, it affects, you know, when you have pets, you've got to plan. You know, if you go off to the beach or somewhere, what are you going to do with the dog? If if you've got to do this this month with your budget and all of a sudden the dog gets sick, what are you going to do with it? I mean, there's you have that with pets, you have that with children. There's obligations that we have that, that require our attention, our money, our time. And so as I look at the word obligation, there's a definition. Our obligation is this. An obligation is that you are required to do or a commitment that you have made. An obligation is something that you are required to do or a commitment that you have made. Now, as we look at commitment and requirements, there are some concepts that many Christians do not like to talk about. Many are all talking about the trip to heaven when their their day will come, but so many people don't live with the obligations while they are here. Did you know in 2023, 14% of couples in the United States were unmarried and cohabitating, living together? Living together rates have increased across all ages groups since 1995. And among adults younger than 30, 12% are now living with an unmarried partner compared to 5% in 1995. Now, this is not a message on shacking up. But it is a great example to say that I have spoken with many couples who came to a point in their relationship where they were living together and they realized out of love for one another, they needed to show that commitment to one another. They needed to make sure that they were obligated to love and care for that person. It went from just a casual dating and sleeping and have a, uh, an extended sleepover to now it is I'm wanting to commit myself to this person, and this person is committed to me. So marriage, it comes with obligations and blessings as well. Our jobs, they come with obligations. Regardless of what some people think today, you do have to work at the job you are hired to do. So as we continue, before we get into the Scripture, I have one real quick disclaimer when we talk about obligations. Faith Our faith comes with obligations, not works. James 2.17 says it best. He says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead 
and useless. So I want to make sure as I'm talking to you about obligations that Peter is talking about as believers, these are not things that that help you earn your faith. These are just things that we do because of our faith. Many are fans of Jesus. What do I mean by that? What do you call a team football player who wears a jersey of your favorite team? What do you call them? A football player, right? What do you call someone who's not on the team but wears a jersey? A fan, right? You got the difference? Okay, in churches there are some people that are doing the work of the Lord. They're on the team. We call them the church. We call them Christians. But then there are a lot of people that are wearing the t-shirts, they got the bumper stickers, they got the crosses on the chain, and doing nothing with that. And they are not Christians. They are a fan of Christ. Because if you're not willing to do the obligations of what it takes to be on the team, then that is some um, some fake commitment there, isn't it? So Peter is giving us some some great advice here on how to live. First of all, we see in verses eleven through twelve of Peter, First Peter chapter two, verses eleven and twelve. True believers see the world differently. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Here's Peter warning. He's warning us. As believers, we do not belong to this world. You belong here in the sense that God has placed you here. You were born, you were created, you are here today, but this is not where you belong. Think of Peter's perspective. The same Christ follower who denied Jesus publicly, not once, not twice, but three times, is now instructing the church not to make fitting in with sinful people your priority. He's speaking from experience. He doesn't want you to feel the same shame and guilt that he felt before Jesus restored him. He tells us to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Why do we crave the very things that hurt us, folks? Why do we crave the very things that hurt us? The desires that God gives us. You realize God gives you the desire for food. He gives you the desire for hunger, for thirst, for pleasure, for companionship. All these things He has given to us, and He's given us in His Word the way that we need to fulfill them. There are God's ways, God's plans, God's will for the ways that all of these urges and and desires that we have, God gave us to them so that we would desire Him. But yet Satan perverts those desires to make them where we want to satisfy them in ungodly ways. He uses our own momentum against us. And we have all these desires. It's all, I mean, you go back to the garden, right? God, I mean, where Satan through the serpent asked Eve, did, did God really say that? Surely God wants you to be happy. That's what everybody says today. God wants you to be happy. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be holy. 
There is a difference. But yet, the world thinks that that's all God wants us to do is to be happy, but yet we try to satisfy our desires in ungodly ways. God gave us these desires to experience his blessings. God wants you closer to him. God wants you to desire him. And Satan wants you to keep you separated from God. Why does God want to keep you separated from God? Because that is where your power source comes from. You are obligated to live an honorable, God-honoring life. You can do everything right and still be accused by your critics as being wrong. It says it right here. It says, look, even when you do right and people accuse you of being wrong, live honorable lives. There are, there are people that are trying to to brand people like us as, as far-right and extra-fundamentalist kind of crazy things that we are not. And people are going to put us into camps and categories and boxes that are not correct. But it doesn't mean that we have to fight out of those boxes. It means that no matter what we do, we have to live honorable lives. When a hurting person attacks you, don't burn the bridge that may be the one God uses you to reach them. Look, look, y'all have been in churches, most of you, all your lives. I've been in churches for a long time now. I've been in ministry for a long time. And yes, the deepest cuts that I have came from people that call themselves Christians. But here's the thing, is that I have learned that I am not perfect. Good Lord knows I'm not perfect. But I have found out that when sometimes when people, parents, or whoever attack, lash out at you, Sometimes you're, you're the figurehead of whatever their problems are. And I can't tell you the number of times where in my spirit I've wanted to do one thing, but the God tells me to live an honorable life the next. And it, it always built a bridge to when something else came down the road in the future, there was an ability to talk, to pray, to honor God with that relationship. God wants us to do the same thing with our family members, with our work relationships. Even with our social media presence. So what we see here, I would call a life point number two, is that your honorable living will be a witness to others that will either bring the lost to Christ or judge them. That is what Peter says here. Look, you live an honorable life. It will either encourage somebody, even maybe somebody, some of those that are attacking you. But if it doesn't, in the end, your honorable living will will be what judges that person. Folks, you are not judged by your peers. We live for peer pressure. When we were in school, middle school, high school, what the peers thought of us, that was king. And even as we get older, some people still, we all want people to like us, but sometimes we put the fear of man over the fear of God. And Peter is saying not to do that. God sees your honorable behavior. Look at verses 13 through 17. You are obligated to respect authority. Now, I'm going to meddle a little bit here. Well, I'm not. The scripture is. I'm just going to read it kind of like a golfer. I'm going to talk about it where the ball lies, if you know what I mean. He talks about respecting people in authority. And he says, for the Lord's sake, not for your sake, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Now, just for those of you that like to get into translations, All means all. All authority. Whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. In other words, either for the man or those people under him. 
For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. Then look at verse 15. This hit me like a ton of bricks. In the New, Le- in the New Living Translation, it says, It is God's will that, you, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. How many times have you said, I just want to find God's will for my life. I'm praying for God's will. Here is God's will, folks. I'm going to save you a lot of therapy and a lot of Bible searching. God's will is that you live an honorable life. That is God's will. Like they used to say back in the 90s, whoop, there it is. That is God's will. It's God's will that your honorable life should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. I love the word ignorant because it means that they don't know any better. How many times have you prayed, God, show me your will in situations? Well, this is it. Whatever you're thinking about, whatever you're perplexed about, whatever has got your your heart aflutter, live an honorable life. Whatever your response is to what you're seeking in God's will, live an honorable life. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But when it's so, so hard. He says in verse 16, For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Some translations say, love the brotherhood and fear God and respect the king. So he's talking about respecting authority. He says, fear God and respect the king. He didn't say respect God and fear the king. Don't put the king before you. There are going to be people in the next election that think that their political party or their person that they voted for, if they get in office, they will be the savior of the United States. There are people in other countries that elect political leaders thinking, this is going to be the one to help us get back to where we need to be. Look, we've got to vote, we've got to be citizens, we've got to do what we have to do. We have to respect our authorities, but at the end of the day, we fear God first. We submit to earthly authorities to honor God, not gain the approval of others. You see, in Peter's day, a devout Jew would not recognize any king but God and refuse to pay government taxes. That's what the Jews of that day thought. They felt that any ruler that was not of Jewish descent had no right to tell them what they should and should not do. Especially under Nero, who was a ruler of the Roman Empire at the time, he was known as being extremely cruel. To Christians. And so here you had this group of religious Jewish people that said, We're not going to pay our taxes because we don't feel like we should. What kind of witness is that for the other for your neighbors that are paying taxes? What do they think about your religion? They're either thinking, Man, I'm going to convert so I don't have to pay taxes. Or they might be thinking, You're getting all the benefits of taxes, why aren't you paying for them? You see, worldly authority does not override biblical authority. Worldly authority does not override biblical authority. It says in Acts 5, 29, But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than any human authority. 
Look, we have to respect the laws that we've been placed under. That is why when you're going down the road and you see a cop, you hit the brakes. Because you are trying to come under that speed limit and respect that authority. There's all these things that, that we have to respect. And by doing that, we are living honorable lives. However, as Acts says, is that there are so many different loopholes and legislations that when there are things that are being passed into laws and saying that we need to do this, if they go against morality, if they go against God's word, that is where the rub is going to start to come. That is where the persecution and the suffering is going to start to come. But that doesn't mean that we say, well, okay, the Bible says we need to obey all authority, so they voted on that, so we might as well do it. We might as well believe in it. Not when it comes to morality and not when it comes to biblical truth. Why is that? Leaders are placed by God. Leaders are placed by God to punish wrong and reward the right. Unfortunately, today, it's the opposite of that. They are put in place to reward wrong and punish right. However, to disrespect our worldly authorities is to disrespect God. What I want you to understand is that if you can go to your job, if you can go on Facebook or whatever social media thing, if you can go to your other relationships, if you can go to your other obligations and show them disrespect, and you say, I disrespect this, I disrespect that, and by the way, I need off for Sunday, I've got to go to church. What does that say? If we will not, look, you, those of you that voted, I voted. If you got your vote, great. If you didn't, great. Throughout my time as a Christian and on this earth, I have voted. Sometimes my person wins. Sometimes my person loses. But I pray for the President of our United States, regardless of what party they're from, regardless of where they stand on issues I agree with or don't agree with, let alone we got to understand that every position from the President on down to the Home and Park Water Commission, every person that is put in place is put in place by the hand of God. And as a Christian, to show disrespect in that way is to show disrespect for the Lord. I'm not saying we don't need to stand up. But we can stand up and we can be firm and we can be wise without showing disrespect. Then we see believers are obligated to be loyal and persevere. Look at verses 18 through 21. And before I read that, let me just say for some clarity here, it is difficult for us in the 20th century for, as Christians to understand the slavery of the ancient world when this was written. During the time of the New Testament writings, Slavery was not as bad as that that was practiced before the Civil War. Ancient slaves, most of them had normal marital lives. Most of them that were sold into slavery was for a period of time as a way to get ahead in the world. We call that employment. We call that getting a job. But much like someone who would seek to get a job or a career today. So don't, don't put your thoughts of what happened before the Civil War, into what this text is saying. It says, verse 18, You are slaves, and you must submit to your master with all respect. (laughs) He is your boss, and you must do what he or she says. Right? Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are a jerk. That's not what it says there, but it says, But even if they are cruel, show them respect. 
For God is pleased when the conscious will, or excuse me, for God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Look, you may not get the praise of your supervisor, but if God sees you living an honorable life, if God sees you keeping your mouth shut when you want to tell him where to go, when God sees that, he is going to be impressed with that. Verse 20, of course you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good even if it means suffering. Did I read that right? For God called you to do good even if it means suffering. And here we go. He throws up the gauntlet here. Just as Christ suffered for you, he is your example, and you must follow his steps. This is what Peter is saying. Peter is telling believers how to live in an unjust system in a way that honors God. We need that today, my friends. How do we live in an unjust system in a way that honors God? Why are Christians surprised that suffering is part of following God. We know the story of Jesus and the suffering he endured. Paul, or excuse me, Peter does not approve of slavery, but he accepts that it was a reality in the Roman world when this was written. So that brings us to this point. Be willing to endure punishment for God's sake when you choose to honor his will over your own. There are be times where you need to remember It's not that you're a pushover. It's not that you're a wimp. It's not that people are taking advantage of you. It is the fact that if God has convicted you to keep your mouth shut and keep your hands on the plow and your eyes forward, even when people are treating you poorly, it means that you are living an honorable life to which God is pleased. Don't you understand? When people mistreat you and you fight back, you're playing their game. You're playing right into their hands. We see that finally Jesus is our example of honoring our obligations to God. In verses 22 through 25, it says, He never sinned nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carries our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Folks, all who follow Jesus must be prepared for suffering. All who follow Jesus must be prepared for suffering. Just like our our wonderful college athletes yesterday, whether your team won or lost, a lot of them are putting ice on their knees and their ankles today. A lot of them are taking some time to rest because they gave it all yesterday. God calls us to give it. Our all, even to the point to where it hurts. Our obligation is to face suffering as Jesus did, with patience, calmness, and confidence that God is in control of the outcome. You see, Peter knew what he was talking about here. 
You know why? Because remember, we're talking about Peter, the disciple that would do something and then think about it. The same disciple that denied Jesus three times. The same disciple that was uh, restored three times. The same disciple, one of the first ones to run to the tomb to look for Jesus only to find an empty tomb. One of the disciples that ended up being crucified upside down because he didn't feel worthy enough to be crucified right side up as Jesus was. So if he was able to be crucified for his faith, it means that his actions and his life are proving what he is telling us here. Now, it is my prayer that you and I are not called to be crucified upside down. We may face persecution one day. We may not. But I do want to let you know that being a Christian is not all sunflowers and, and, and whatever other pleasant things you want to think about. Sometimes Christians suffer. And I'm not talking about you had a bad day at work. I'm talking about people targeting you because of what you believe. Because of your values. Biblical values, that is. Jesus died for your sin in your place so that you would not have to face the eternal punishment that we all deserve. So folks, if you are saved, if you are a Christian today, Jesus has given you the ability to turn away from sin and turn towards righteousness. Righteousness is a a church word, a biblical word that means living right. You can look at something and know the way you're living. You say, that ain't right. That's not righteous is another way to say that. To live a righteous life. Live a life according to God's Word. Live in God's will by living an honorable life. He's given you the ability to turn away from that. It's not like you're no longer a slave to that. People that don't know Jesus, they don't know any better. But you, you've seen the light. You've been enlightened. You've been set free from your sinful nature by the blood of Christ. So what that means is is when you do sin, it's not because you're a slave to it. It's because you choose to. That's why we sin. Oh, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You chose to do that. We went yesterday to, uh, to get some ice cream and I ordered some ice cream. And I thought to myself, I told Donna, I don't need to be eating this. And I didn't, but I did. (laughs) I'll have to go to the gym this week and work that off. And I will tell myself while I'm on the treadmill, how does it taste now? But the truth is, is that we do choose whether we live an honorable life or an unhonorable life. You can say no to sin and yes to righteousness or right living. You can say no to Satan's will for your life and yes to God's. Because I want to let you know, Satan does not fight fair. And as it said in verse 11, sin is waging a war against you. Because you, my friend, if you go to heaven in God's trophy case, that's where you're going to be. You are God's greatest prize and possession. And Satan's doing everything he can to knock that case over. Because he knows he can't get God one-on-one. So he's going to get that thing which is most precious to him. And that is 
his children, and his church. Fulfilling the obligations will usher in God's blessings. Fulfilling the obligations that Peter has laid forward will usher in God's blessings. My question is, do you want in? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for our time together this morning. And God, uh, this is a message just to remind us as believers that, Lord, it's not all about just getting the benefits of having peace during a prayer time or, or being able to get through a tough situation, that there are some tough situations that we are going to have to just be fighting through, Lord, by living an honorable life. People may talk about us. People may judge us. But it doesn't mean we stoop to their level. God, you see everything that we do. And you see every honorable choice that we make. As we do every service, Lord, if there's somebody here today that they want to live an honorable life, they would say, if God, if you're looking at my life right now, it's not very honorable. And I'm not really sure how to get back to what you want for my life. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord today. And today can be that day. Maybe you want to honor the life through baptism. Or joining this church. Maybe you just want to come and pray at the altar. Whatever your decision is this morning, may you respond, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.